You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. One moment of technical difficulties, and it will be resolved very shortly. I can tell you this, that the message today, when I looked at that passage, it's Acts chapter 20, we're continuing on in that series, and when I first looked at it, I was like, what would God even want to say to us from this passage? And the answer came rather quickly. Thank you. Thank you, sir. The answer came rather quickly, and he wants to challenge us today. Could be a little one of, could be one of those little bit of ouch, a little bit of sting in there, especially in the application. We'll work through some things, and then in the application, God wants to speak, I think, to the church, but we're not the church. We are this church. And so he wants to speak to this church. Could somebody shut that back door and we'll get started. Today we're again picking up in Acts and we expect, Lord willing, to be there without interruption for a good length of time. That's our plan. But you know the best laid plans of mice and men, right? Man lays his plans, Proverbs says, but the Lord's plans prevail. Our plan is now to be in Acts for a while without interruption. We've, we, as we hit the late summer, early fall, we had a number of other things we had to tend to, and we were in Acts when we could be. Now we should continue on through. Do you realize we only have eight more chapters in Acts? I thought this thing would last forever. What's that? We were in Matthew for five years, so... Last time we spoke, I've had so many guys step up and help me, Chris Firestein and, and, and Josh and just the elders and guys just stepping up all over the place and, and helping me when I was away or we had other things to deal with. But last time we spoke, we covered Acts chapter 20, 1 through 12. Eutychus was raised from the dead in that passage, in Troas of all places. Troas didn't even make it into the big seven New Testament churches that are mentioned in Revelation. And yet God chose Troas to do a tremendous miracle. He raised Eutychus from the dead in the midst of the church. The church got to see it. Can you imagine how encouraged that church was to see that? I don't want anybody to die, but wouldn't you like to see something like that? The Holy Spirit move powerfully, supernaturally like that? What an encouragement to our faith. Well, we drew a conclusion from that passage where God raised Eutychus to the dead and several passages before that that had extraordinary works of God in them. And our conclusion was this. We kept it very simple. When God is on the move, crazy stuff can happen. When God is on the move, crazy stuff can happen. We don't know exactly what, we don't know when, 
or how, but we do know when God is on the move, unexpected, crazy stuff happens. We've seen it all through the book of Acts. And it's not written in there just so we know it happened then. It's written in there for the church today. And that's one of the things we're trying to figure out, how to move into that fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely necessary for effective kingdom work. God is on the move here, you know. Steve, I think you said that in your prayer or when you were addressing the congregation. God is on the move here. This small, unknown church in this small, unknown town of Columbia, Pennsylvania, CCF, not much different from Troas. Therefore, I believe we can expect some crazy stuff to begin happening here in these days ahead. Good stuff, God's stuff, salvations, healings, deliverances, resurrections, signs, wonders, miracles, on and on. So today we move on in chapter 20, same chapter, different focus. If you'll stand, and Joe, if you'll come forward. And Barry, is Barry still here? If you could come forward. Joe's going to come to the mic, and he's going to read Acts chapter 20 for us, and Barry's going to work on the iPad. The fonts went back. While Joe reads. Joe, what is it? Acts chapter 20, verses 13 through 21? Okay. We can raise that mic, Joe, and then speak right into it. Paul went by land to Assos, where he had arranged for us to join him while he traveled by ship. He joined us there, and we sailed together to Midland. The next day, we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day, we crossed to the island of Samos, and a day later, we arrived at Miltus. Paul had decided to sail on to Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when he landed in Miltus, he sent a message to the elders of the church of Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. When he arrived, he declared, you know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have earned the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin, and turning to God, and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Thank you, Joe. You may be seated. When he's done, we have to give him a huge round of applause for the way he takes care of this stuff. Where would we be? <laughs> Thank you, Barry. We had some of the greatest brains in the church back there working over that, and we got nowhere with it until Barry arrived. Am I controlling from up here? Thank you, sir. Thanks, Barry. So the title of today's message, off of the verses Joe read, is a fine example. From his own life example, Paul was outlining the way of life he wanted the elders at Ephesus to live, to follow, to apply to their own lives, to teach their people. 
And it's a fine example to be followed, the example of the Apostle Paul. Paul often encouraged his converts, his disciples, to imitate his behavior, to imitate the way he thinks as he imitates Christ. In our discipleship training class, we've been hitting on that, how when we disciple somebody, there's a huge responsibility because the discipleship process by nature, the person who's being discipled becomes like the person who's discipling them. So if you're discipling them, you want to make sure you're giving them a fine example to follow. As much as possible, you want to be like Christ because we're not making disciples of ourselves. We're making disciples of him. But there is this progression. Jesus is now in heaven. He's no longer on the earth. He still needs to make disciples. So he told us, go and make disciples. And the process is he teaches us and we we teach others who then teach others who then teach others. So Paul was often calling the believers in the churches to follow his example. It's not braggadocio. It's the way God set it up. Acts 20, 13 through 16, the first four verses, 13, 14, 15, and 16, are basically just historical facts and information related to Paul and his companions. They're heading back to Jerusalem. They're moving on to the next phase of ministry. They're hoping to get to Rome. Paul was actually hoping to get to Spain. We don't think that ever happened. We notice Luke often begins each new segment or each new introduction to a journey that they're they're heading on. He introduces it with historical facts, data, information. Acts is in large part an adventure story. Luke loves to include many of these types of details that Joe read for us. And there's just a couple of things we want to note from the verses before we move into some heavier things and then an application. Paul went by land to Assos where he had arranged for us to join him. While he traveled by ship, while we traveled by ship, he joined us there and we sailed together to Mytilene. The next day we sailed past the island of Chios. The following day we crossed the island of Samos and a day later we arrived in Miletus. All just data and information. By land. Remember, Paul originally was to go on the ship with the others, but he decided to travel inland, the inland route, because a plot had been discovered to kill him during the voyage. If you trace Acts, there is a group of Jews, and it's ever-expanding, and they just continually follow Paul around, causing trouble for him. He'll get to a new location, Then the Jews there get stirred up. The Jews come in from other places. And this band of Jews are constantly following Paul around, causing trouble. My own opinion, apart from Jesus himself, I don't think Satan ever wanted a man dead more than the Apostle Paul. Think about this. How badly does Satan want to take you out? Could that become our testimony? Could that become my testimony? Satan wants to take us out because... The amount of impact we're having for Jesus in our area and our region. Or is the opposite true of us? Satan doesn't really have to bother us. We aren't really that great of a threat to his kingdom at all. Satan was constantly out to get Paul. I mean, who wants to live under that kind of a lifestyle, right? But on the positive side, there was a reason the enemy was out to get Paul because of the impact he was having. How concerned is he about us? How concerned is he about you? 
and your life. And this is going to play into the application of what God has to say to us today. How concerned is the enemy about Columbia Christian Fellowship? Are we threatening his kingdom? Or are we just living our mediocre, comfortable, convenient Christian lives? The other thing to notice here is much later than that. Paul again changes the pro, Luke again changes the pronouns. We're back to the we and us. Luke is writing again in the first person. He joined the expedition back when they returned to Philippi because he had stayed there when they moved on. Paul assigned Luke to disciple the new believers in Philippi. When Paul circled back through Philippi, Luke joined with them again. He rejoins the expedition. This account now is a firsthand eyewitness. Verses 16 and 17. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. Again, all historical fact, data, information. He initially sails past Ephesus. He had spent three years there, and he was anxious to get on the road, get to Jerusalem, get to Rome, hopefully to Spain. There were other groups of people to reach, always in the Apostle Paul's mind, others to reach, proclaiming the gospel to those who haven't yet heard. That's what he did. It was for that which he lived. But, and this is a good but, we've seen a lot of bad Butts, B-U-T, bad butts, B-U-T, in Acts. As badly as Paul wanted to move on, he just couldn't quite leave them behind without some sort of parting instruction, some sort of discipleship, some sort of encouraging and strengthening the believers at Ephesus. He couldn't bring the whole church to him, but if he got the elders to him, he could instruct them, they could take it back. Remember, these elders in Ephesus, these guys were not too long ago heathen unbelievers whom Paul introduced to Christ. Now they're leaders in the church under his discipleship. And he felt he had to address them one last time before he left. And we'll see as we move on in Acts chapter 20, this is the last time that they will see him. And it's a very sorrowful meeting, but that's for another week. He sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus to come and meet him at Miletus. And in this meeting, Paul gave the elders at Ephesus some parting principles. We'll take a very brief look at the parting principles and move into the application. Because the important thing in my mind, the primary thing in my mind that I believe God wants to address today for us is found in the overarching principle at the end of the message. So if you want to take a nap, take a nap now, and then I'll wake you up when we get to the application so that you definitely hear that. Paul had, there's, Paul had some instructions for the elders, and there's some lessons for us in this, not just for our elders, definitely our elders, but for all of us. The principles we pull out of this are going to come from the example of Paul's own life that he shares with them. So here we go. Acts 20, 19. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. 
These are his words to the elders. I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. So lesson one, the parting instructions to the elders, humility. The character trait that he wants to see in the leaders and in believers is humility. And we could look at a number of verses on each one of these, but that would take too long. Just a brief comment about each lesson. Biblical humility. It means to think correctly about yourself. To think correctly about ourselves. We never think of ourselves too highly. We know that. We never think of ourselves too lowly. Oh, many of us don't know that quite as quickly. We are not puffed up by good success. We are not destroyed by bad failure. That's humility. It's an even-keeled, sober judgment or understanding of who we are and who we are in Christ. Scripture says we can do nothing apart from Christ. And that's true. Do you know Scripture also says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us? And that's true. There's this balanced understanding of who we are. That's biblical humility. Keeps us steady keeled. Keeps us from being puffed up. Keeps us from despairing and being depressed. We walk this steady road. Biblical humility. Also says many tears. One comment on that. Paul's ministry was filled with passion. Was filled with compassion. Sometimes we don't see Paul in that light. He comes off very, very strongly. Sometimes he comes off chauvinistic, but the scripture reveals a side of Paul that was very passionate, very compassionate in kingdom work. Paul wept often over the lost condition of mankind and over the suffering of believers in his day. Just like his master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lesson two, I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. That's that group of Jews that was following him around, constantly trying to take him out, always trying to kill him. Lesson two is endurance. Paul wanted the elders of Ephesus to know they have to have the quality, the character trait of endurance if they're going to make it into Christian life. It isn't a walk in the park, is it? It's not a walk in the park, is it? Biblical endurance, what is that? It's the ability to hang in there when the going gets tough. It's easy to hang in there when everything's going well. Endurance is hanging in there when it's not going so well. When you can't really see the light at the end of the tunnel, but you see the light. Hanging tough in trial, tribulation, difficulty, hardship. It's biblical endurance is a never give up. A never give in. Persevere. See it through to the end. Biblical endurance is unmovable, unshakable. Yeah, that's Paul. And that was his master and our master. That's Jesus. That's how they lived. 1 Peter 2.19 says, God is pleased when you patiently endure. Some of you are going through some stuff. God is pleased when you endure that stuff. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure. God is pleased with those of us who are enduring, and God blesses those of us who are enduring through difficult times. 
Next slide. Paul to the elders of Ephesus, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. Ooh, that, that, that's a good one. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. Approval of man is such a trap. There's things we do and things we don't do because of the approval of man that get us in bad spots. Paul never shrank back because of the approval of man. Either publicly or in your homes. He told them what they needed to hear. Because he operated in love. And love isn't just feel good, compromise, will tolerate everything. Love is what is the best for you. And whatever the best for you is, that's what I'm going to do, even if it hurts. Even if it hurts you. And when it hurts you, it usually hurts me more. You heard your parents say that, right? You didn't understand it then, but it's actually true. It hurt me more to discipline my kids than it hurt them, but they couldn't understand that. It hurts God more to have to discipline us than we understand. But all of his love is dis- all of his discipline is love out of a loving heart. And that's the way Paul approached his ministry. I don't particularly like confrontation. But sometimes you have to confront. I don't particularly like drawing lines because I love everybody. And I want everybody to love me, don't you? But sometimes you just got to draw lines that might cause people to not think the way you want them to think about you. Why are you guys laughing? It's Deborah? Okay. I'll talk to Deborah later. (laughs) Typical American husband. (laughs) And we've been doing that since Adam, you know. The woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit to eat. It was all the woman's fault. The snake or the woman, but it wasn't us. Lesson three, the character trait that Paul wanted to make sure the elders of Ephesus had in their lives and were passing on to their church. Boldness and confidence. Shrink back. Shrink back means to recoil in fear, or if not necessarily fear, intimidation. And what are two of Satan's greatest strategies against us? Fear and intimidation. It's to back off of something. To shrink back is to back off of something that should be done. Here he's referring specifically to he never compromised truth, no matter who he was talking to. He never compromised truth, pleasant or unpleasant. Consequences or no consequences, whether it was accepted or rejected, didn't matter. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear. I hope that can be my testimony when I have to give an account before the Lord. Paul always always told the truth that was needed in love. Next slide. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. The necessity of repenting from sin turning to God, and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. Lesson four is Paul was always evangelical or evangelistic. His life was driven by a love for the lost. His life was driven by telling others about Jesus. If he wasn't out there evangelizing, he was discipling believers. He was always telling people about Jesus. I had one message And I was talking to you about salvation in the name of Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 5 says, this is, these are Paul's words, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. Are we working hard to persuade others? Or are we still in that, well, if it happens, remember how long we talked about that being intentional? Because most of us, most of the church has a mindset of, I'll tell somebody about Jesus. You know, if it happens, if the circumstances are right, if I'm not too busy and they, they seem interested, because if they're not interested, I don't want to offend them. How much do you really love them? You won't offend them because they're not interested, so you don't care if their soul ends up in the lake of fire. If you really bring it down to where, where the end comes, yeah, I don't want to tell them about Jesus because they might get offended. Are they going to be offended when Jesus tells them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I never knew you? Maybe we can head that off by taking a risk that they might get offended with us. You following me? Yeah, I love preaching this stuff. I just don't do it. Sorry, bad place for humor. That's, that was supposed to be humor. We understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. We work hard to persuade others. Work hard is an understatement. You've been watching Paul's life. We've seen Paul all through Acts. So now a summary and a conclusion. The four lessons Paul wanted the Ephesian elders to know, build into their life, teach to their church. Humility, endurance, Boldness, confidence, and to be evangelistic. Four characteristics, all taken from the example of his own life. It would be a good thing if our lives are characterized by these same traits today. Humility. We think soberly of ourselves, not too high, not too low. Endurance, we never give up. We never give up. Boldness and confidence. We don't shrink back because of what people might think about us, the approval of man. Evangelistic. We're making sure we're telling people who don't know Jesus and helping them come to know him. Now, I purposefully skipped over verse 18 because verse 18 is going to bring us to the application. Verse 18 contains a character trait of the Apostle Paul that permeates and empowers all these others. Without this character trait, these will be iffy in our lives. So are you ready? The fifth and most important character trait and the one from which God wants to address us and challenge us. It's the primary issue God wants to address and challenge today. So on to the conclusion and then the application. When they arrived, the elders, when they arrived to where Paul was in Miletus, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now. The fifth character trait, the overarching character trait, the one that undergirds and empowers all the others is consistency. My own opinion God has an issue with the church. You know how when he wrote to the seven churches of Revelation, boy, this is good, this is good, this is good, but I have something against you, or I have something that I need to address with you, and I believe this is that thing to the church today. He's displeased with our inconsistency. 
Are we consistent? From the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now. Some versions have, the whole time I was with you. And here's what it's saying. Paul was in, the, in Ephesus for, for three years, and we've been watching him ever since he started out on these missionary journeys. There was never any wavering. There was no vacillating with the Apostle Paul. What you saw was what you got always. Are you listening? What you saw was what you got always. The characteristics that he outlined for them, humility, endurance, boldness and confidence, evangelistic, they were consistently present in his life, in the life that he lived before them, in the life that he lived in front of anybody and everybody. And we'll see as we finish up Acts, he continues this and he, he now has to come before kings and nobility, no wavering, no vacillating with the Apostle Paul. All these character traits were consistently present in his life, in the life he lived before others. They knew what to expect of him, whether they liked it or not. That's not the point. They knew what to expect. They knew what they would get day in and day out with the Apostle Paul. Consistency. Application for the church today. Application for you. Application for me. Are we consistently Christian? Are we consistently Christian in our talk? And in our walk, in our conduct, in our behavior, are we consistently Christian? Bring it home. When I see you on Friday or Saturday night, will I see the same you that I see here this morning? When you see me on Friday or Saturday night, will you see the same me that you see here Saturday morning? Sunday morning, sorry. Or, or do we look like the church today and we look like the world tomorrow or on the weekend? Do we live like a believer today because we're in church and we're around believers and that's what we do. And then live like an unbeliever tomorrow or on the weekend. If I came to your house or your workplace unexpectedly or you came to mine, would I find the same person there that I see sitting here in front of me? What if God is asking us, and he is, are you a consistent example? Are you a consistent witness for Christ and for biblical truth in your life? And, of course, he knows the answer to that. God wants us to seriously begin to think about this, to seriously begin to think about how we live and to be honest with ourselves about it. And there's a reason. It gets a little ouchier. 
The opposite character trait of consistency, my brothers and sisters, is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, pretending to be something we are not. And Scripture is clear. Hypocrisy is something that the Lord absolutely hates. He is displeased with the inconsistency among his people these days. It's one of the reasons that we are not impacting our culture. What we see in here on Sunday, we think should be having a tremendous impact out there. But the problem is, they're not seeing that because we're not always like that. We're not always like this out there. Scripture is so clear. And this is what I saw as soon as I looked at this passage. And I was like, what do you want to say to us from this passage this week? And this jumped out at me like, God wants to deal with our hypocrisy in the church. That was Jesus' primary contention with the religious leaders of his day. Their hypocrisy. Again, do I pretend to be something Sunday, Sunday morning, when other believers are around and I'm in church and I'm in a certain setting, that I am not in other times? I'm not that same person for whatever reason? So we're going to close this with an admonishment to consistent Christian living. 2 Peter 3.14, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and are blameless in his sight. Pure means spotless, without obvious or noticeable blemish, spot or stain. Blameless, listen to blameless. I want us to listen to the definition of biblical blamelessness. Blameless means not liable to accusation. Lives that are so blameless and above reproach that people will have to lie to accuse us of something. And they will, of course. Blameless means unchargeable. We noticed a number of times where Paul was dragged into court, and what would the judges say? And what did Pontius Pilate say about Jesus? I can find nothing wrong with these guys. I can find nothing wrong with them, nothing to charge them with. Well, we want them dead, and unfortunately that ruled the day. But these guys had lived such blameless lives above reproach that nobody could legitimately point a finger at them. Is that true of us? Good. And you know what, Isaiah? I kind of think it is true of you. (laughs) No, grandmother said no. She disagreed with me. Not liable to accusation, unchargeable, one who has consistently lived above reproach. No legitimate accusation or charge will hold up. We're to live blameless lives above reproach, consistently. Consistency. I'm just about finished. (laughs) Consistency gives the enemy. What does the word Satan mean? Anybody know? Say it again. The accuser. Satan is constantly accusing God's people of wrongdoing or whatever he wants to accuse. And God wants to be able to say, nope, that's illegitimate. Unfortunately, as well, unfortunately, 
God sometimes has to say, you're right, and I have to deal with that. And sometimes, as we'll see in Job, he lets Satan deal with it, with us. That's a place we don't want to be. We want to take away all legitimate accusations and charges against us by demonic or by human. They'll still do it. That's a given. But we need to be innocent in the matter. Doesn't even mean we'll always be exonerated. Many have lost their lives due to false accusation. But in God's sight, which is what we care about, we need to be innocent in the matter. When Satan comes before the Lord and accuses us, we want the Lord to be able to say, nope, not true. Because he will lie too. He's a liar from the beginning. So consistency, that's the good thing. It gives the enemy no legitimate opportunity for accusation, for slander, or for criticism. Hypocrisy, this is the bad thing. Hypocrisy opens the door for all sorts of accusation, slander, criticism. Guilty as charged, tarnished testimony. One of the most common accusations, slanders, criticisms against believers is what? They're all a bunch of... Say it. They're all a bunch of... Boy, I wish that wasn't true. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. And unfortunately, our argument can't be, no, they're not hypocrites, because unfortunately, there are times when we are. Our argument has to be, that may be true, but the, the Lord we serve is not a hypocrite, and that's who we want you to know. And that's who we want you to follow. Get, get past who I am. But it would be much better if they can't legitimately accuse us of being hypocrites. Because we're blameless and we're above reproach in our lives, in our conduct, in our behavior. Brothers and sisters, that label of hypocrite should not be able to stick legitimately on us. Closing with a stern warning. God has made this very, very clear. I hope I can make it clear to you without getting too mm, over it. But he's made it clear to me. God is not playing with sin these days. Especially secret or hidden sin. That hypocrisy. I act like this, but I'm really like this. I'm this guy in church. I'm that guy Friday night. God is not playing with that anymore. Do we understand that? In the church. He can't. He can't play with it anymore because too much is at stake. And you know where I'm going. 100,000 precious lost souls who need Christ, who are waiting for the church, who will consistently present Christ to them. That's what's at stake if we don't deal with this. God's not putting up anymore with the church not being an impact in society and in the culture. We're tired of evil ruling today. God's much more tired of it than us. But he works through the church. He works through his people. He's trying to get us to a place where he can accomplish what he wants to accomplish. But our sin keeps getting in the road. In the way. And we always sin. And we have 1 John. That's not what I'm talking about. This intentional hypocrisy that I act one way, but I'm really not. I act another way over here. And I think I'm getting away with it. 
The days of getting away with it are coming to a close. This is a warning to he who has ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We need to consistently talk the talk, and we need to consistently walk the walk. God cannot run the risk that our hypocrisy and our pretense will turn them away from him. He loves us, but he desperately loves them. We're in, even if we smell like smoke, they're not. And he desperately wants them in. And we're the folks who bring them in. Hypocrisy keeps them out. Consistency is attractive. Hypocrisy is repulsive. God has given us something to think about today, right? We need to, I really want us to hear this. We need to deal with our own sin. We need to deal with our own sin. We need to deal with this issue of hypocrisy in our lives. Before he does. If we won't, he will. He loves us too much. There's too much at stake. He's not going to let it go. We're closing in. You know we're closing in on the end times to the very end. And there's so many lost souls God's heart is breaking for. He's not going to put up with the things that are keeping them from coming to him. Even if that's us. Art, will you come and pray? Rest of us will stand and Sonny will bring the band forward. Wait till everybody's settled and just let the Holy Spirit lead you, my brother. Can you bow your heads with me, please? Go before the throne. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this word, this rich, rich word that you have given us today. And Lord, I just pray that this word would just penetrate our hearts, our spirits, our minds, our whole beings, Father. Because there are so many lives that are on the line that need to, to know you, to have a personal relationship with you, Father. Because without it, there is nothing left but you, Father. And we thank you for the word that you have spoke through, Pastor, this morning, Lord. And, Father, we want all those traits that you spoke about, endurance and boldness and every one of those things, Father. Because lives need to hear about you, Lord. And, Father, if, we, if we've been lacked in any of that area, Father, I just pray we just repent right now in the name of Jesus. We ask your forgiveness for not doing the things that you have called us to do, Father. For you said that there is now there for no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So, Father, from this day forward, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would help us to be wise in these areas, to help us to live a life that reflects you, not hypocrisy, or help us to be the same person that we are on Sunday morning through the week. Because that's what draws other people to you. You said be lights in the world, Father. And Lord, sometimes we fall short of that. But you know what? You said that all we have to do is come before your throne and ask for forgiveness. And you'll throw it in a sea of forgetfulness. 
Father, we want to be serious for you because you're serious. You know, you, there's a stern warning to let us know that if we don't do the things that you have called us to, that there's going to be lives that are going to be lost, Father. And that's going to be a heart and broken heart and dreadful thing when we stand up there and we see the opportunities that we may have missed, Father. So, Father, we pray that, Lord, that we would just not miss those opportunities. Give us boldness and courage and help us to live the life that you have called us to live, Father, because that is the desire of our heart. We don't just come here just to waste time, but to come here to worship you and to get instruction on how to be your witnesses everywhere that we are, Lord. So, Father, we ask that you would just let the seed just begin to grow in the spirit, in, in the ground of our spirit, and that we can be the examples that you have called us to, Lord. We thank you for your love for us, each one of us, and and we just praise you and, and just yield ourselves to you, Lord. We give you the honor and the praise because you deserve it, for you're an awesome God and worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.